and welcome to episode 85 of the Stick to Hot, Stick to Hot, <laughs> do that again, well-oiled machine. Uh, welcome to episode number 85 of the Stick to Hockey podcast, the playoff edition. And I can see Russ is feverishly looking for a number 85 as we speak. I've had no chance to to even, you gave me three minutes notice. <laughs> I literally did. Um, but anyway, it's the playoff edition. I have a number 85. There's only one guy I can think of. And the only reason I ahead, remember him, I think he's 85. You're going to have to Google this for me. All right. Is Matthew Perot 85? From the Winnipeg Jets. The only reason I – because I like him because he looks like uh, a grizzly bear like me. He's, he is 80-something. Uh, I think he's 85. Because yeah. I remember it's kind of a weird number, you know. Not a lot of guys wear 85. 85, he is. He is. Oh, okay. Yeah. You're a winner. The only guy I could think of. So, Matthew That's Perot, good. good job. You embarrass uh, me again. Good yeah. job. <laughs> um, coming up in this episode, we're going to uh, uh, hear my conversation with uh, the founder, the co-founder of Ingle Magazine, uh, Ingle. Ingle mag.com and ingle radio the podcast he writes for nhl.com as well our friend kevin woodley is my gonna, former editor i used to write for that magazine yeah you used to work for him and uh he's the goalie whisperer he, he he's great yeah i mean he breaks it down he charts every shot and he knows he's the Kevin. guy who taught me rvh i had no idea what that even was when i started writing for him well, I'm sure that will be discussed because we've seen a few RVH um, fails, but we're going to explain that it's not the the save selection that failed, but the execution of the save yeah, selection. Yeah, because that's what I hear most of now from guys like McKenna, and it's like they didn't commit to it long enough. They they do like that hybrid version now. There's guys that do hybrid and get some mm-hmm. trouble. Well, the other thing too is is going into it at the wrong times. You saw right. that with the, the goal with Vasilevsky. Yeah. The second goal in the Columbus game as well. And then you saw the Matt Murray one off his head. There was just no reason to be in the position he was the way. But he that Vasilevsky leg extension is just unbelievable because he gets to a point where he doesn't even have to see the puck. He just commits to the leg extension and you better lift it over his leg or he's just stopping the puck even if oh. he can't see it. He's so athletic and he's, he's unbelievable. How about, well, let's start there, Russ, because yeah. Mika, Mika Koskinen, how about 85 shots? and you lose somebody tweeted me and said could you make 85 saves and i said yeah on 110 shots over three games right <laughs> but, right i mean wow. it's really incredible I, I i mean boucher did a pretty good job of pointing out how sweaty goalie stuff gets and they do mm-hmm. the hair dryers i have this dryer um i remember i tried i reviewed it once and you use it to dry skates and everything and that thing takes hours so yeah, yeah for goalie equipment you've got to use the hair dryers and do the best you can but the gloves and everything just gets soupy. He was amazing. Like, he yeah. definitely was the better goalie, even though they both were great. Um, I did make the joke that Torts would probably say to him, um, you're only good as your last save. Mm. Um, <laughs> but, no. But, you know, end of the day, this was a game Tampa needed. This was a game that Columbus desperately needed also because they played four and six. And the problem with Torts, and I think it'll be in this series – is he rides those top four so so hard yeah. defensively that now will they be taxed for the next game? And Patrick Sharp did a good job of saying, hey, look, I don't know how this series is going to go. Anything could happen. But he said you usually don't notice how taxed you are until you get on the ice again, and then you try and do the same things, and all of a sudden your legs aren't there. And it wouldn't shock me if that happens in the first period for Columbus next game with their defensemen. 
Yeah, and Torch has got his work cut out for him here. I mean, Hilda had a position that we got screwed, a blown call. The, the yeah. headman was not yeah. called a penalty. It sure wasn't a penalty, I don't think. Um, but Hilda had to play the situation. You know, if it was game four, you go, and that's the, the, you know, the game that puts you up three games to one, then you're dead to your rights. Right. But Columbus can bounce back and tie the series at one, and, and losing a five-overtime game, the fourth longest game in NHL history, uh, may be mitigated because it's early in a series. Yeah. Yeah, it is early in the series, but I don't think it's going to be mitigated. I, I think Tampa also did a good job of rolling those four lines. When you play like these long games, that's a big deal. But I'm going to give you a quiz because I, a noted Philly radio personality called me right after that game ended, and I was literally on the couch. I wasn't sleeping because I did sleep through the five overtime one and woke up at different various times with the Flyers. But who was the minutes leader? in the Flyers five overtime game? The minutes leader in the Flyers game, it had to be a, a defenseman. It was a defenseman. Was it um, Luke Richardson? No. He had a lot, but it was not Luke Richardson. Uh, was it a Russian? No. Hmm. I'm trying to think who else was on that and team. We looked, and we looked at and Dan McGillis? It was Tam McGillis. Wow. I can't believe I got that. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, you got it on the third try. Yeah. Um, he, and he probably missed the net 10 times, too, in that game. Yeah. Well, Jonesy didn't even have a shot in that game as we went through when he was on the Stick to <laughs> yeah. Hockey podcast uh, with Craig Berube way back when. That was fun. Um, so, Tampa is a team that's got to overcome this team, and I love the fact that it's a rematch. I think they should love the fact that it's a rematch, too. Mm-hmm. You got to embrace it, right? Yeah. I like the um, the Cooper – salmon salad story because i have a similar story yesterday a lot of times i don't feel like cooking right so i'll order out and i said you know i said to my wife i'm gonna order out at the end of this game like the end of the third period she goes that could take an hour and i'm like yeah sometimes it doesn't so middle way i I had this feeling it was going to take a little longer and i said i'm going to order it now it's only five minutes i'll just go pick it up and thankfully i did because otherwise i would have been like cooper staring at his salmon salad wondering Mm -hmm. when i'm going to get to eat yeah, it was an unbelievable – I mean, to, for that to be the first game of the round of 16, which is always the craziest round of sports, for that to happen in the first game between those two teams with that yeah. history, it's like the NHL couldn't write the, the story any crazier other than well, the you, fact that they had to push Boston and, you know, and Carolina into today. Look, I mean, Philly could still get pushed today if the Islander game goes long. Mm-hmm. Um, I know nobody in Philly wants to hear that. Uh, the interesting thing, though, Pierre-Luc Dubois said – there were two, two interesting things. Pierre-Luc Dubois actually said that they hadn't eaten since 9 a.m. because they had that one scheduled meal. Yeah. And, and then the other thing was, as we – and people should check out the video. When we interviewed Jonesy, you know, he talked about the pizza he ate and how it had all the toppings and all that stuff. Guys don't eat pizza anymore. Now it's just bars and bananas, and they don't want them to fill up, but they don't want them to have an empty stomach. They want them to fill up with just enough fuel – but now, like, they don't want them to get full. And so now, like, pizza's out now. And I'm going to say maybe as of two years ago, I remember still seeing pizza in the locker room for, for some overtime games. And, and now, not the case. Yeah, well, at some point, you get to you gotta go, we got to put something in. If we're out of bananas and we're out of whatever. Yeah, then they would have to. Yes. Yeah, then you got no choice, you know. And, and who knows what the catering situation is but the there bubble, in a stadium right, the bubble, with no fans. Right, the bubble pizza. I asked that question on Twitter. What would the bubble pizza be like? Oh, man. <laughs> bubble pizza. Not the greatest. No. Um, let's stay in the Eastern Conference. Um, it's so interesting, some of these matchups. 
But let's go to let's go to the the top. What, what was the top seed? The Boston Bruins from the regular season taking on a team in Carolina that just swept the New York Rangers out and did them a favor, by the way. And we'll get to that coming up. But uh, that matchup, Boston wins Game One in double overtime. The game gets delayed to the next day. Um, but Boston, I didn't think they looked great in the game. But to me, the fact that they survived that game, maybe that's what they needed just to get their legs under them. Yeah, I, I think this was a game where for the first half of it, they weren't exactly Boston. They were still missing open nets and, and such. And they missed a few in, in the overtime too. But as that game went on, one of my predictions on another show was, and I may have, you know, I forget if it was off the post or one of the other ones I do, um, was that Carolina has an excellent defense. And look, and we know Justin Williams didn't play and, and Vatnik didn't play. Got it. They have an excellent defense, but – if it's a close game, it's hard to hold that Bruins first line and even the second line with Krejci back if it's a tight game because they know how to roll and really turn up the pressure and really turn it on without making mistakes on their own end. And I felt like that's what they were doing. And, boy, Bergeron is just one of the great players of our generation and really any generation. And Morazic probably did what you wouldn't have done on that goal with the just the over – playing of the puck on that one just he definitely moved too soon but at rask i felt like when he did that glide across the crease did it too soon too because yep. he he slowed himself down like yep. rask did but but this was worse this one gave bergeron a little bit too much net to shoot at but i'm not sure he had an i'm not i don't want to kill morazic on this too badly because i don't i would not play joel edmondson much in overtime i get that he won a cup but he's really slow and there were two times that he was caught on the same side of the ice as Slavin. And Bergeron saw that, man. And he knew to turn on the Jets and get this give-and-go going so he could get open. And that is a problem that Carolina has to solve now. Oh, absolutely. And, and I'm looking at the goal again right now. Morozik did just – he overslid his, his crease. He just yeah. – he went too far to his left. Yeah. And, look, that's, that can happen. He just overexploded. Yeah, and he went into a butterfly slide from a standing position. So there's, it's a little easier to from that position to over uh, slide it, and right. it's early in the period too, Russ. Yeah, fresh ice. You slide a lot cleaner oh, on that's that a fresh good point. ice. Yeah, yeah, and he just he just overshot it and left. Gave him so much on the blocker side. It was yeah. easy for Bergeron at that point. Plus his momentum's going left. He shoots it back against the green to his blocker side. Um, so look, good on Bergeron. You're right. He is to me. He's a hockey, how to video, how to play the center position. Well, I, I think I've said it on this show. I've said it before. I have heard and have it on good authority that, and I think, I think Cassidy may have said it during the cup last year, but every center in the organization gets sent footage of Bergeron all the time so they can study it. Yeah. And rightfully so that that's the smart thing to do. Cause he's just a great, he is such a good hockey player. Yep. He's one of those guys. Just a, it's the how-to video, how you want to teach kids to play the game and play the entire sheet of ice. Oh, yeah. Um, when you look at this series, too, it's going to be interesting because now they're going to have two back-to-backs. You know, Carolina's a team that's not afraid to go to its backup. They went to the backup in the clinching game. Oh, I would not round. go to Reimer against Boston. I think that's a mistake. Yeah, I think they got the most that they were going to get out of Reimer in that other game. Mm-hmm. I'd be worried about this. Yeah, um, it's an organizational belief. They did it in the Calder Cup last year with Nadelkovich yeah. and uh, was it um, Tukarski. Yeah. 
Yeah. They've done it before. They did it when they won their Stanley Cup with Cam Ward and Martin Gerber. They did it with Kevin Weeks and Arthur's Herbe. That's a long time ago. And this Mm. is the Boston Bruins who are a very wily bunch. Yeah. And boy, if if Reimer. Is there that big of a drop off from Morazic to to Reimer? I think there's a little bit in the athleticism department. And I think if Boston catches that early and Reimer is just not sharp early and all of a sudden they're down to nothing, that's, you don't want to give Boston a game in this series. I don't think Carolina can afford to give Boston even one game in this series. Do you agree with that? Um, I don't know. I, you know. I look at Carolina, man. They're, I, I keep undervaluing this team, and they keep defying me. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's gonna, I get it. It's going to depend on health, though, too. Like you said before, you know, you're missing two key guys and, and Justin yeah. Williams, and, and that, that's a big loss for them. So Huge. Yeah. Um, let, let's look at the, the other, another series in the Eastern Conference here. Let's look at the Washington Capitals and the New York Islanders. It's uh, the, the former coach against his former team. Um, it's Barry Trotz and Todd Reardon. I don't like Todd Reardon as a coach, but – yeah. I love Barry Trotz, especially if I was yeah. a goalie in his system because he'd just stay clean all day. Uh, but do, do the Isles have a shot here? The I think Isles, they do. Yeah, I think they have a shot. I think this will be a long series, six or seven. Um, a lot of fights early on already in this series. I think they're all sort of trying to mark their territory a little bit. Uh, maybe the, you know, I said this on another show, but I'm going to say it again. Maybe the fight we want to see is Trotz versus Reardon at yeah. the end of the day. Or trots versus ownership. Right, or trots versus ownership. Because it's getting nasty between these two teams. I think with the Islanders, you know, Varlamov has to really be on the top of his game. And I felt like at times in in the first period, he wasn't gloving everything, and he should be. So that could be a warning sign. I don't know, because I've watched enough of him over the years. Uh, You know, the Islanders' defense looks good. They aren't scoring, though. And the the one thing is – how long can you keep the Capitals off the board? I know people could say, hey, regular season, they own them, whatever. This isn't the regular season, and they may just start firing shots at some point. So that's going to be the worry is, can the Islanders hold back the Caps? Because the Caps have good enough defense that they can play this game for a while. But the other thing is, I think Kovalchuk is really mucking up the works. I don't, I, I, because I was doing another show before this, I don't know what line he's on. But I didn't like him with Ovechkin. I felt like he was holding Ovechkin oh. up. It was awful. I put him on like the third line. And if you get scoring out of him, great. If you don't, at least he's not mucking things up. That to me could be a problem. Also on the power play, that could be a problem. But Carlson's back and he had a fight right away, which again, I was kind of shocked considering, you know, he had been hurt. So it just shows how tough these hockey players are. And this is going to be like an old Patrick division matchup. And that I like Buddy that. Knuckle. Yeah, I like that. I mean, that's okay. It's it's different than everything else. Yeah. It, it's an interesting series. And the Islanders are a boring team. They play a boring oh, brand yeah. of hockey. It's a successful brand to some extent. But is it one in these playoffs where they can – can they get enough scoring? And you, you alluded to it. And I don't know that they can. But I also know that Barry Trotz's system and a lot of playoff games are two to one. I, I just don't know that his goaltending supports that just yet. Until right. they get Sorokin – um, and if he adapts to the NHL in any kind of accordance with the numbers that he put up in the K, which are just absolutely insane. Yeah. Um, 
All right, let's move to this other uh, Eastern Conference series. We'll get to the West in uh, a little bit after Kevin Woodley. But the Flyers and the Canadians, the Canadians come in, regular season rust of 31, 31, and 9. So that tells me they won 31 games and they lost 40 games. Right. But they're a different team now than mm-hmm. the one that finished the regular season. Are they a different team, or was that series in four games, the win, the playing round for them, was that more of a byproduct of what the Penguins weren't because they didn't look good at all? Well, no, I think I think it's part of that, and I think that's why the Penguins coaching staff, three three guys were shown the door today. Yeah. Um, so it's a bloodletting there, man. Yeah, well, I mean, they really, you know, Rutherford was was mildly shocked at the results, so he's doing what he can. I, I probably had a long talk with Crosby and then made these moves and will make other moves. Um, I think you look at it and you say, Nick Suzuki had those four months to get stronger and he looks great, man. I mean, he was a stud in juniors and he is now a stud in the NHL and I'm not shocked. He's a smart kid. So that's been good. He can fly, Um, man. He can fly. Paul Byron is one of the fastest guys now, or at least he was last series. We'll see how this series goes, but Byron was buzzing out there too. The whole team can skate really well. I mean, when, when you play the Flyers, because some of the same core guys are still on the Flyers, you're always going to get some odd man chances and you're always going to get some shorthanded chances with speed. Now, the Islanders, the Flyers PK is much, much better. Mm-hmm. But they still have this propensity to give these things up. And we saw that with, with Kucherov and we saw that. So I think it's still going to happen with the Habs. And I think Shea Weber kind of rope-a-doped us in those first couple of playing games because he looks great now and he didn't look good then. And Lekkanen, they have some guys playing some really good roles for them. Petrie has really stepped it up. It's a walk year for him, so maybe that's, you yeah. know, that's that's helping him. Kokaniemi. Yeah, Kokaniemi yeah, looks really good now. So, again, he took another step forward. He had problems earlier in the year for a part of the year. And Julian's a good coach. I think to Julian's discredit is, though, he's not going to play Ryan Paling or hasn't and he's playing like a journeyman from the ECHL because it's safe, you know? And I don't like when coaches do that. Laviolette does that. You know, he had his Freddie Goudreau at the time. And so I just – I think it's Belial, the guy I'm talking about. I think that's Mm -hmm. his name. And so I don't love that. Against the Flyers, this is – Flyers look just as good, if not better, coming into this. Now, I do think there's some rope-a-dope, and we saw it because – Obviously, the Bruins team now that you're seeing is a hundred times better than the Bruins team you saw in that round robin game. But still, they, they if you play your game, you play your game. It translates, and I, and the Flyers did it. I think they'll win in five, but I do think there's a chance that it could be a closer series than that. Would I be hundred percent shocked if Carey Price won first first game? No, only because of the effect with Carter Hart and him. We've seen it before. Now it's in the playoffs, so it's a little bit bigger. I know you could tell me Carter Hart played in the playoffs in the, in the round robin. Yeah, that's not And I'll tell you, it's not really the playoffs, and that's I don't think the, the feeling was the same. I now, don't think he would call it that. No, I don't think he would either because now there's a chance of elimination where then there wasn't. Mm-hmm. And I always feel like that's the, the big thing here. But, you know, I still think the Flyers can take it in five. I, I think the depth just overwhelms. Yeah, I think there's like too Montreal. much depth. Yeah. I think there's too much depth. Vigneault will roll four, and, mm-hmm. and that's good. And he will play those those pairings the whole game because he does have faith. Um, I don't think we're going to see Gostaspear. I think we're going to see Hag and Braun because I think at the end of the day, that's what has worked. Now, Gostaspear could fix the power play, which was 0 for 11, but mm-hmm. he also could increase the chances for the Canadians. So it's like, which way do you want it? You know, the one thing I heard of Vigneault 
interview recently, and he said, you know, your top players have to be your top players, right? Now, the Flyers' top line's been playing great defensively, but they're yeah. not producing offensively, and they're going to have to if, they, if they're going to make a long run here. Yeah, they're going to have – you're absolutely right. There's no way you go on a long run without Claude Giroux, Sean Couturier, and Jake Voracek being a big part of it. You just – right. you can get all the depth scoring you want, but yep. it ain't going to matter because those guys have to be the ones. And they have to be good defensively, no question. And yep. in those three round-robin games, I mean, you're facing three of the best lines in hockey, the perfection line with Bergeron, yep. Marchand, and Pasternak. You're, you're facing that line in, in, in uh, Washington with Ovechkin and Backstrom and whoever decides to play their wing that day. And then the same thing with Tampa dealing with Kucherov and Braden Point and, and all those stars. So, look, they ended up net positive on all those situations. But you're right. They got to get on the board. And it's going to be interesting because, you know, Carrier Price is a guy that can get into people's heads. And that, that's, the, that's one of the things we're going to talk with Kevin Woodley about because he knows Carey. Um, he does a, a camp with him every summer, um, the Eli Wilson goaltending camp, and gets to spend time with Carey Price. So he's – real in-depth about the, the, what's in, in here for Carey Price. Right. We all know the physical elements of his game and how good he is and how yeah. technically sound he is. And this is the best he's looked in the playoffs since the, time he's he played, since the time he's played the Rangers and then unfortunately got taken out by Kreider. But he hasn't always been great in the playoffs. But this – He's so he worn does, out. Yeah. And he's too many is, games. Yeah, and, and he is locked in. And, and had this been a normal year and he played – I mean, he played 58 games at the pause. It had he would have been worn out again, but this, he now he's basically had an off season. So yeah. um, that's a huge difference for a guy like Carey Price You're going right. in after you play. Teams got to start looking at um, get, valuing that backup goaltending position a little bit more to not kill their guys in the regular season. I, I think they're starting to, mm-hmm. and I think you know we're going to get to the point again where uh, it's going to be fifty-five, forty-five in yeah. season. And I think that's coming. I do think it's coming. And I think we've probably got, you know, unofficially, what, five, six teams that subscribe to that. And I think we're going to start to see more. You know, perfect example, like, to me, I don't know anymore if Freddie Anderson can take the leaps where they want him to go. Uh, he's good in the regular season. They usually overuse him. But this time they didn't. And he came back rested. And he still wasn't good enough. Yeah. Now, it's not all on him. But – when I watch him and I saw that second goal that he gave up, I do kind of question that, you know, there's times where you have to question a goalie like, Hey, is this the guy? It doesn't matter if he's got the carry price look where, you know, you say, Oh, this guy's been great out of the gate or it's a lesser goalie that just happens to win a cup that happens and it's happened. And, but I just, I would, I think the Leafs are going to find out that Anderson's part of the problem. And so, you know, price can get you there. There's no question. And, he should be able to win at least a game or two for the Canadians, but they're going to have to score goals. And I don't yeah. know where all those goals are coming from. Yeah, it's a good point. And the Flyers have so many good shutdown uh, defenders. And, and I mean, Niskanen's uh, been just tremendous. Provorov's yeah. been great. The Sanheim-Myers pairing is so dynamic. I mean, the, what really they do good. on that forecheck, it, by you know pinching up the wall all the time and guys – the winger sliding back to cover, and then if the rush goes the other way, they have the skating ability to get back and get back yeah. into D-zone coverage. It's now, we crazy. do have to watch the Sandheim wrist, and we don't know if he gets mm-hmm. hit again, like what happens with that. So that's something we're going to have to watch. Um, before we get to the Western Conference, after Kevin Woodley, um, the lottery. The oh, Rangers wow. win the sweepstakes. Uh, that's why I said that uh, Carolina did them a favor. They weren't going to win the cup or go on a long run anyway, the Rangers. Yeah. Instead, what they do is they speed up their progress a little bit. Uh, yeah, Jeff Gordon sent out that email, what, like 
18, two months ago, or two years ago? Two years ago, yeah. And, that, and now all of a sudden, this is a team that's got stock covers. They got Panarin. Uh, they've got Truba. They've got uh, Kreider locked up. They have all these pieces now. Capo Caco, the second overall yeah. pick from the year prior. And now they're going to be able to take Alex Lafreniere. They got a lot of wingers, a lot of left wingers. Yeah, but that, you know, in, in the end, um, if he's the best guy in the draft, I don't care about getting a guy who could be a franchise center in Quinton Byfield. I got to take the best guy. And yeah. Lafreniere is the best guy by far, but he's also the most marketable guy in this draft. And the Rangers ticket tickets have fallen in the last couple of years. They're not guaranteed sellouts anymore. They get a lot of money, right? So they make a lot of money, but he could fill the rest. And, and Lafreniere will have like tremendous marketing in North America and it'll start to happen in Manhattan. And so like, those are the other reasons you want him besides him being the best player. But look, he can go. I, if he really looks the part, like I think he will, I would put him on left wing and I put Panarin on right wing, which he's played there before and let that work. Let yeah. that percolate because the Rangers were missing that. Kreider didn't do well in the playoffs. Like he, you know, he had, I think a goal. Like he, so. Put Zabanejad in the middle with Lafreniere yes. and Panarin. Oh man. Yeah. And that's, that's what fun. I would do. I mean, the skating would be great. It would, mm -hmm. um, Lafreniere is really a playmaker at heart, even though he's got a great shot. So he will set up the other guys and that's his, that's what he you know normally does. It's a big deal. I mean, I know Larry Brooks said, well, the Rangers haven't had this first pick since 65. Just so you know how bad that 65 draft was the the Leafs didn't even take part in it. So only five teams they took passed. part in it. They passed. They said the talent is so bad. We're going to pass on it. And there were only 11 players taken, I believe. And wow. so you can't even count that. So this is no. this is an amazing thing for New York. It's uh, good for the fact, league too. It's good for the league. It's it's good that Edmonton didn't do it because people would have screamed at Edmonton or Pittsburgh. Yeah. Because what was interesting though, though, Larry Brooks and Penguins fans were getting into it online because of the obvious tanking the Penguins did for Lemieux, and then the obvious tanking they did with Crosby, and so that started to surface. And I thought that was. Uh, kind of interesting too yeah well it, look it's good for the league to have one of its um a marquee player in that city i think it's good for the metropolitan division too fire oh, fans yeah. are the metro are is just going to be so good oh, so, i mean you got so many great players and Goalies, jack hughes is going to develop young, like his brother players yeah oh, it's going to be tremendous um let's get to kevin woodley i had a chance yeah. to catch up with uh, uh the co-founder of ingle magazine inglemag.com and the ingle radio podcast kevin woodley and here's my conversation breaking down the NHL goalies, including Carey Price and Carter Hart. Very happy to have join us on the Stick to Hockey podcast from Ingle Magazine. He is one of the co-founders, Ingle Radio, the podcast, which is one of my favorites for sure, as you all know. And he is a Carey Price whisperer. Kevin Woodley joins us right now. Woody, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I don't know about a whisperer in terms of I don't do anything for him, but I've certainly watched him closely, got a chance to be on the ice with him a few times and learn from him. So I, at least I should be able to speak to you know, some of the things that make him good. But I'm definitely I'm definitely not whispering in his ear, that's for sure. Well, he whispers into a lot of goalies' ears just in the way he approaches the position and the way he plays it and has played it for so long. Um, let's start with that, that matchup because you and I texted as soon as it happened. And for the goalie community, it's like a goalie geek matchup of Hart versus Price, the idol versus the, uh, you know, the mentor and all of those things, even though Carter finally got to meet him. But – this is a goalie matchup in heaven from a style standpoint, isn't it? Yeah, kind of uh, two models of efficiency, right? Carey's been the standard for so long. Uh, the, the phrase I used to use whenever I was asked to talk about Carey's game, he was, he was like a human how-to DVD on goaltending. Like, 
Um, just his ability to sort of never look like he's out of control, even when he's aggressive. And I would make that point. Like if, if you watch the first round of the playoffs, and I've had a couple other NHL people reach out to me and ask me if, 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 if I felt the same as what they were seeing, he was more aggressive in that first round. No question. Um, positionally, a little more active than we're used to seeing carry. And yet what makes him so good is even when he does that, it doesn't feel like he's chasing. He still hits his spots. He still gets their square. He still makes the shooter beat him with a perfect spot more, more times than not. And so I think, you know, that sort of model of efficiency that Kerry has been for years. And I've said this now about Carter's game as well. Like he has some efficiencies in his game, frankly, that are a little ahead of their time in terms of, um, you know, the type of movement, not opening and closing again, doing a lot of things in terms of body mechanics and, and tracking that allow him to be played set and square rather than get to a spot and then set and square. Uh, and so to see them go head to head, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I know a lot of the public analytics were, I mean, clearly Kerry played great for the most part in that series um, when he needed to. The public analytics had him as the best goalie in the in, in the league through the qualifying round. Uh, I took a look at clear sight analytics, private stuff from Stephen Valaket, another guy I know you're familiar with and a fan mm-hmm. of, uh, based on that first round. And it might surprise some people to know that that Carter actually outplayed him by a by a quite significant gap. Carter was almost six percent above save uh, expected, and Carey was at about three. Both really impressive, and obviously Carey and I would argue a more intense environment. Uh, clearly the round robin was a little bit of uh you know it just probably you're not going to see as many mad scrambles in that round robin it would have been a lot more controlled play and of course that's going to suit carter's game just fine because he reads it so well so uh, this is going to be fascinating to watch and like you said just a kind of a goalie nerd's dream come true the thing with price in that in that playing round i don't know that he stole the series i think they just outplayed him although he stole game one and he got the shutout in the in the elimination game uh, but you're right. He when he would go into pseudo this is Carey Price desperation mode, which looks a lot different than Mark Andre Fleury or Jonathan Quick desperation mode. But he was still completely under. He, I never felt like he was ever out of control or, you know, just kind of going a, a crazy. He'll do that if he has to. But I never felt like he was in any of those positions. It's amazing. Yeah. No. So his desperate, like his more active mode, and and he doesn't usually. He can look scrambled without being scrambled like it can look frenetic without being as you said out of control and the difference of course is that even when he's rushing around he's still got another move left whereas some guys will sell out thinking shot on the you know or sell out sooner in that sequence and not have the ability to recover you know Kerry's pretty good about not selling out until he absolutely needs to and so um, I, I think control and you've already said it that's that's the one thing that separates him whether it's that sort of slow, methodical beating the play, never sort of sort of feeling like he has to get out of control to get there, or in scramble situations. I mean, some of those PK segments or, or, or sequences against the Penguins were just like, like just all over the place. And yet again, if you were to slow-mo it at each spot, he's usually arriving set and squaring himself up rather than arriving, you know, with his legs sticking out and his arms flailing and not having another move. So it's pretty fun to see. Um, as an opponent, I would think you would get to the point where you feel like you need to be perfect to beat him because he's always there ahead of the play or he's always there as you're shooting. 
Um, and so you see in, in the series clincher where you've got Sid in a pretty good look, carry moving, and you know he does feel like he needs to be perfect. And he makes an near-perfect shot, but it's an inch too high. It hits the crossbar and stays out. So I, I think Kerry, more than anyone else, can probably get in a team's head that way. And I think that's probably why, despite maybe his regular season, not especially his last year, not being up to Kerry standards, you see him still lead those votes for toughest guy to beat one-on-one by his peers, by other NHL shooters. And I also like to point out, like there was a lot of talk about, you know, Kerry can't steal a series going into this, or I wouldn't say that there was, there was people that said, Oh, look out for Kerry Price. And then there was sort of a pushback from, you know, certain elements. I, I think in part analytics community saying, no, the numbers don't say that yet. You know, it's been five years since he won the heart in the Vesna and it has. But by clear sight analytics numbers, it's only been one year since he was the second best goalie in the league in terms of goal save. When Vasilevsky won the Vesna last year, he was the only goalie in the league to actually save more goals based on shot quality, environment, and workload than Carey Price. Price was number two. So for all the suggestions, and we think we've seen it now, for all the suggestions that um, that that his best was that far past him, I, I didn't think they were correct. He's kind of proving that now. The other thing he's proving, and if, if you're if you're the Montreal Canadiens, I hope you're going to school on this, the value of arrested Carey Price. Well, 58 uh, games this year to, again, right? Yeah, now you, he's you rested. Might pay, yeah, you might want to pay a little attention to how you handle that backup spot. Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, you got Caden Primo coming, lingering, and, and the Kincaid got hurt this year. There just wasn't options for him, and, and they were in that race. But you're right. Now he played 58 games this year. He's been a horse in his career. But all of a sudden now he's got 140 days off. And Kevin, it looks to me like he's throwing different looks too. Um, he's doing his save selection looks a little broader to me in that play in series. I saw some, I saw him VH on a save, and, and it, was, it seemed to me like he surprised the shooter when he did it. Um, I've just seen some different broadened save selection per se with him. Well, and a little more aggression within him. So let me ask you this: like, I, I don't know which one you're talking about. When you saw the VH, was it against the post or actually outside the post? It was outside the post. Yeah, there you go. So we saw that a lot when we did some video breakdown uh, with him. And we had him, obviously, uh, our Eagle Magazine Premium members were able to attend. We did a live webinar with Kerry and Eli Wilson this summer. And we ran through some video with him. And one of the things as I went through the video and broke it down that surprised me was how much he still uses it. But he actually will use it outside the post. And he'll even use it. It's, It's not quite what we would think of as a traditional VH in terms of a post integration. Mm-hmm. But in terms of loading up that side with the pad high and the glove above it, he'll even use it in a two-on-one situation. And we've talked about it. He's broken it down for us in our pro read segments at Ingle Premium, where in his mind, it allows him to sort of guard short side high, to have that glove up there, have that pad up there, but be fully loaded for that backdoor push if the pass goes across. And so now I think that speaks to two things. That's an evolution in his game and something that when you really look closely actually has been there a fair bit, whether it's this year or maybe even a little bit the year before, but also in plays around the net and in tight, um, it's almost like a VH overlap for lack of a better term. Yeah. Like Carrie, and that speaks to the aggression we talked about. Carrie is playing, he's painting outside the lines a little bit more than we've seen in the past. And, um, and you can do that when you're able to still move as well as he is like he doesn't need a post to push off out of that to still get back across the other way and when you can still move around your crease the way he does and still beat plays it allow and still have that aggression it allows you to get away with it whereas a lot of guys man if they play outside their post and that puck goes well, across the middle they just dead. not getting there yeah yeah too much real there estate 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so good observation because I, I do think we are seeing some different looks and we're seeing a little more aggression overall, at least in the qualifier round from Kerry than we might be used to. Um, his game obviously looked dialed in in that playing round. The Flyers are going to have a tough uh, matchup with him. W what is the way to beat Carey Price? I mean, the, the, the way, the tried and true way, get pucks in that, get traffic there, right? Um, if you give him clear-sighted shots, you must just go in your backyard and play catch with your 13-year-old because that's basically what it is. Um, so, so what is the way to beat Carey? Uh, is it cross the slot line passes? Um, is it banging? Is it going to be, it's going to be shooting for rebounds and those kind of things? Uh, I, I, I mean, obviously, anytime you create more dynamic offense against any goaler, goalie, it helps. But I think when you are, do you have a guy like Price, the way he's moving, the way he's reading the game right now? So two things that will – like, it's not just about traffic so he can't see the puck. It's about traffic so he can't make a read. So having to look around a screen on the short side that, that causes a delay if that pass gets through the slot line. Like, if he reads slot line and he can make – he's still going to He's waiting for it. you. Yeah. Yeah, he'll get, and that's what he's been doing in this series largely. But if you make him look short side around a screen as you're delivering that pass cross ice, you're going to delay that push, that movement, just that little bit because he has to look one way and then go the other. Um, it's, it's a matter of creating time for yourself as a shooter. And then when you get to the other end, understand he's still going to catch up and you still got to make a good shot. You try and beat him along the ice, good luck, right? He's still going to get there. He's still going to get a pad there. And I think also in scramble situations, and we saw quite a few of them where the pens, whether it was a scrambler, just moving the puck all over the place. Like I think almost on the PK, as good as he looked, and there are some goalies like this where, where the penalty kill gives them a chance to make more of a read against teams that are trying to make pretty plays. Mm -hmm. Because it looks great, and there's a ton of movement, there's a ton of cross-crease cross, cross crease and cross-ice, but Kerry's so good at that, at, at beating it and reading it and getting there. Um, that you almost play to his strengths. Yeah, you're playing as his much teeth. as you never want to. <laughs> yeah, you don't as much as you don't want to dumb down your offense to say shots and pucks from the net and stuff. Anything you can do to disrupt the broken plays, you're not going to try and create broken plays. Um, you're not going to rely just on screens and traffic. But the more of that you create, the tougher it gets for him to make clean reads that are the foundation of of his game. Right? He may, he reads the game so well, and then he has the movement. So you're not going to take the movement out try your best to make the reads more difficult. And that's by taking sight lines away. And it's not just crash and bang and, and randomly, you know, it's like I said, it's, it's making yeah. sure if you're on a power play that you're making him look one way on a screen when you have a, a pass option on the other side and make sure that pass option knows when he one tees it, it's got to be more than 11 inches off the ice to have a chance. Those are the types of things. Uh, what about below the goal line? Uh, you know, goalies hate when the puck's behind the net and you got your windows and it's a nightmare. And you're going, do I turn here? But he's always been so good on pucks from behind, you know, down below the goal line. Is that an area where he is still excelling and, or is that an area of exploitation? Uh, you know what I have? I, I wish I'd actually, I, I didn't pull up sort of the charts and stats on that in front of me. So I, I'd like to look at the numbers to sort of back it up rather than just, you know, talk out of my ass, frankly. <laughs> um, but, but I mean, in terms of his post technique and, and his movements, I mean, even when he's, like we said, even when he's being more aggressive, as much as he'll be, a, he'll come outside the post and, and paint outside the lines a little bit with a VH and mix things up when the play's above the goal line. I think when you get into RVH situations, when the puck's below the goal line, like he's still as clean technically as anyone really good at looking, finding those windows, um, not a, you know, not turning, not getting caught turning his head a bunch. Or pretty rare you see 
see Kerry fishing. He's good at sort of setting things up on one side and keeping them there as long as he can. So I don't think it's an area that's a deficiency. But again, when you talk about ways to create offense against any goaltender, mm-hmm. we saw this against Jordan Bennington last year. Like Bennington was excellent. Only area that teams were sort of able to exploit, and it wasn't on him. It wasn't just a function of Bennington. It was also a function of the Blues not doing a very good job defending the middle of the slot on those types of plays. So those passes were getting through. And, you know, statistically, the guy who tracked every goal in the Stanley Cup playoffs and had gone through every goal Bennington had given up last year, that was an area you could target. So I think that's, you know, frankly, an area that you can score on a lot of goalies, maybe more. But in Bennington's case, too, like he went to work on it this summer and, and tried to put some things in his game that would help him with it. And statistically, when I looked at it, it looked like it worked. So I don't think it's a weakness per se on Terry. But as you said, there's a reason it causes goalie spits. And it's never a bad idea to try and attack from below the goal line, especially with low high, low high plays and quick pop passes. Um, you've gotten to know and you had Carter on uh, the podcast. He's done a bunch of uh, pro reads for you guys as well on Ingle Radio or Inglemag.com. Um, great stuff, and, and he articulates the game. And you you know you hear in his pro read segments the standard that he holds himself to. What's been so impressive about him for you, Kevin? Because um, getting to know him from my end and, and dealing with him day to day and and talking to him so much, he's so impressive. I don't even want to say for a 21 year old anymore. I think that's a disservice um, to what he is. But what's really kind of uh, blowing your mind with regards to Carter Hart, both on and off the ice? Well. I'm not never surprised off the ice because he has the foundation um, in terms of, you know, the work he's done mentally and he continues to do concentration grids, Wim Hof method, cold showers when he was struggling to sleep in his first week in the NHL. Like he's never just going to accept that something's maybe not working or doesn't feel right. He's going to find a way to fix it. And I love those guys. Right. And Hey, listen, sometimes I've been biased towards those no stone unturned guys um, and failed to recognize that, in some cases it's too much, like they overload themselves. Right. And I think that's something that maybe the flyer staff has wondered about, you know, too many of these routines that he needs to do. Um, so like all that stuff has always been there. So I'm, it's less that I'm impressed by it. I am, but I'm not surprised by it anymore. Right. Like when a lot of people said, you know, when Carter talked coming out of junior, like he'd be ready for the NHL quickly. Um, and a lot of people kind of, yeah, whatever. I, I believed it. Because yeah. I've seen the world. Like, he's a pro, right? Like, he's already a pro. And he learned some lessons that first year. He's talked very, a lot about them, you know, paying bills and maybe not paying bills and with <laughs> electricity shut off, learning how to shop, learning how to eat. But the fact is he actively went out and found what, you know, he worked with the nutritionist. He, again, no stone unturned. Every little thing. He understands that, you know, he's sort of – all these elements are important and, and he takes care of all of them. So I'm not surprised about the maturity and that he's arrived at this at this level at this age. Um, I – if there was one thing I worried about with Carter and I shouldn't have, because when this was it, when, when the, when the pause started, I actually thought he'd be the best to come out of it. If we were two months or so, cause you saw it when he was injured, he came back better yeah. because he found other things to work on. Uh, you know, with Kim Dillabaugh, they would, they would review video. He'd do the, he'd do all the work between the ears, concentration grids, visual edge, doing his eye exercises. Like, again, he didn't just, sit there and wait to get healthy if he couldn't work on his game on the ice he worked on his game if he can't work on his game between the pipes he worked on it between the ears right so but as this dragged on I was a little bit not nervous for him but I was kind of curious to see what we'd get from him because he's a guy that you know doesn't shut it down and so Carey Price goes to Washington State stays at his in-laws place the whole time during the pause he didn't even have his gear down there for the first three months 
And he hops on a Zoom call with Montreal reporters in late June and says, I haven't, I haven't faced a puck in four months. I haven't seen a shot. And people panic a little bit. And I'm going, well, that's Kerry. That's every summer for Kerry. That that's how he prepares. Doesn't, doesn't, he shuts it down. He doesn't put the gear on until August. Takes care of his body, but he doesn't think about hockey. He locks it away. And so for him, this was normal. Carter tends to do a little more work during the summer, which is typical of a lot of young goaltenders. They don't take the same amount of time off. And so I did wonder, as much as he took care of all the other elements, left no stone unturned in terms of trying to make sure he was ready, I did wonder if not being able to skate might lead to him taking a little longer to sort of get back up to speed just because he didn't have it in his back pocket like Carey Price and Braden Holpe did that, yeah, this is nothing new for me. It's just a regular offseason. For him, this was very different. So kudos to him that all the other work allows him to make the transition quickly. In terms of his game, you know, all the elements we talk about with Price apply to Carter. Um, for different reasons, Price comes by it very naturally and the amount of work he's put into crease movement throughout his career. Carter, as I said, with some of the coaches he's worked with at a young age, um, you know, I, I think of Oilers goalie coach Dustin Schwartz, the guy in Sherwood Park that he worked with for a long time. There's an efficiency in his game that's very much by design uh, and I believe to be ahead of the curve. Again, in terms of a lot of guys push to a spot and get there, but they get there with the back leg behind, upright in their stance. They have to they have to sort of catch the back leg up to get square, and then they have to set. You watch Carter, he arrives set and square almost every time. So um, there's a precision in his game that, um, you know, the fact it's all returned fairly quickly, I wasn't sure because of the time off, but I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised because it's always been something that sets him apart. The one thing, and this is actually probably a question for you, the home and road split. You know, and the fact that this was in a bubble environment. I, I was yeah. kind of curious about that because I couldn't figure them out, frankly. And I know all it can take in, you know, in one season is a couple bad games. And he obviously had a bad one in his hometown in Edmonton. He admitted he learned from it, right? Yep. He do things a little differently. Um, but, but that was the one I wondered. And so I wanted to ask you, do you know, putting you on the spot here, I'm turning you into the guest on the podcast. <laughs> do, you, do you know if, if, if at this age with the Flyers, even as a goaltender, was Carter would Carter have had a roommate on the road during the uh, season? He did not. Yeah, okay. usually. So that yeah. was my curiosity because because yeah. I, I I forgot how the new CBA worked because there was a time when young guys had to have roommates and because all the things that he does to me that was what I wondered because now he's in the bubble and he can do whatever he wants because everybody has their own room. I wondered yeah. if the home and road splits were a young guy not wanting to dictate his habits to an older roommate or to another roommate, because what Carter does is very unique. The cold showers, mm -hmm. um, you know, the rolling out, watching video, doing all that type of stuff. So I was kind of curious. So that's good to know. That doesn't explain it. We still have the mystery left to unravel, but the good news for Flyers fan is, is none of that has translated to Toronto. He clearly feels very much at home in the bubble because he's playing spectacularly. Yeah. And his rookie year too, is his road numbers were actually in the splits were actually better than his home numbers, but the, so the home numbers. Sample he, size. Yeah, and and also, I mean, you look at, I mean, the home numbers he put up this year were just absurd. And you know, it's interesting because in camp too, he actually missed a little bit of time um, with an injury, and in this shortened camp, coming back, and boy, he still came back and looked out. And I mean, I watched that first game against the Bruins, and while I was impressed with 34 saves on 35 shots, and the one goes off Robert Haig's skate, the more impressive thing to me was that his heart rate never seemed to elevate over 70 beats per minute in the entire game in his first pseudo postseason NHL game. It was so impressive and, and you know this when the players see the goalie that is completely unpanicked and unfazed by the situation 
and playing like that, everybody plays more free of mind. And that the game can't be played with your pretzel, your head tied into a pretzel, or you're going to be screwed both as the goalie position and for the, the guys in front of you. Oh yeah, absolutely. Cause everyone, when you, it, it's not, it, it's a confidence thing. It's a mental thing. It's a, uh, he's got this. We don't have to worry. Let's go out and win it. Like there's a lot of different and mentality matters. You heard Torch yep. talk about it. It's more between the pipes than, or between the, between the ears than it is X's and O's. But there's also an element of, I don't feel like I have to do this guy's job. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, as long as I take care of what I need to take care of within the system, do your job to, to, to go Bill Belichick on it. Um, he's going to do his. And I'm telling you, man, like that snowball can go the other way. You guys know Steve Mason well from his mm-hmm. time in Philadelphia. I remember talking to him in Columbus. He had fixed a lot of the elements in his game. And I know I give Jeffrey's credit. When he got to Philly, he simplified things for him. To me, Mace wasn't a guy that necessarily read or thought like he could get a little – what he thought he was doing when he didn't always match the video, frankly. Jeff simplified it by having him play deeper. But at the end of the day, a lot of the elements in Steve's game, the changes that were made to get him, he was good in Philly. Mm-hmm. And those changes started in Columbus. But as he told me shortly after the trade, it didn't matter what he fixed in Columbus, how much better he felt about his game or got with his game. It was never going to work because that trust was broken. The teammates felt they needed to help him out. So they chased the play. It's like a goalie chasing the play. Now mm-hmm. everyone's trying to do, people are trying to play goal. And now nobody's where they're supposed to be. The people, other defensemen are trying to block everything. Defensemen are trying to be the goalie. The goalie's trying to read whether he can trust the defenseman to, we were, to be where he's supposed to be. And that sort of cycle, once it starts rolling downhill, that snowball oh. can get big in yeah. a hurry. And Mace knew that in Columbus. He, I remember him telling me it never would have gotten better in Columbus. That was broken. It was done. But the flip side is when it gets rolling the other way, mm-hmm. nobody has to worry about, you know, like, yeah, everybody's diving and blocking shots but they're doing it within the structure. They're not abandoning the structure because they're like, Oh God, this guy can't stop anything and we better block everything or we're screwed because that usually doesn't work. Yeah. And if you were here the year before when they went eight goalies deep, every mistake, they were pulling it out of the back of their net, (laughs) you know, and that gets into your mind in a hurry, right? Yeah. And it it paralyzes you as a, as a player. Um, any, any surprises from a goaltending perspective that you saw in that playing round? Murray didn't play the last game. Um, he had, you know, points of play where I thought he was really good, but there was a couple goals I didn't like. I didn't like the Bobrovsky first goal he gave up, obviously, in that elimination game. They threw it into his feet, and we've all been there. It ties you into a knot, and you're just screwed. Um, anything that surprised you in the play-in round? Pleasantly. Um, there's a lot of great performances, right? Like, I, I, I always sort of pat myself on the back when I see Corpus or Merzlikin play well because mm-hmm. – I'll have to find a recording here somewhere. But but when they lost, Bob, I really wasn't, you know, and, and at least I, I would know I was on the record a few spots with a couple hits elsewhere. Um, I really wasn't stressed because their depth was so good. And Corpy was a guy that I'd heard so many good, like people in the goalie coaching community were very big on this guy. Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, I remember he Thatcher Demko's NHL debut came opposite Jonas Corpusalo. And oh, I wow. I made the mistake of putting it on Twitter saying, I wonder how many Canucks fans realize that the higher touted goalie prospect is in the other end because most yeah. Vancouver Canucks fans were, you know, all up in arms that Thatcher Demko, like this was his NHL debut. It was a big moment for the franchise. And it wasn't meant as any disrespect to Demko, who I'm really big on it. I think mm-hmm. he has a bright future, but it was just more like Corpus has just been overlooked. And so, you know, happy for him. Um, 
I, I think goaltending depth has never been better. The gap between one and two for a lot of teams has never been tighter. And so I was, I thought a lot of teams paid lip service to the concept we're going to need to. I loved that Carolina had the ball to actually use oh, to. What a I balls move by, moved. yeah. By, by, and a lot of people, hey, a lot of people said, oh, you need to make that move. You're up to nothing. Hey, easier maybe. That ain't they easy. They just went to, yeah, the other team went to Shesterkin, who was supposed to be their savior because he was finally healthy. Mm-hmm. What if Shesterkin stands on his head and Reimer doesn't, and all of a sudden it's a 2-1 series, like the margin for error in a five-game series. So I give Rod Brindamore and the Carolina Hurricanes a ton of credit for that one. I think it's going to pay off for them because as much as Mrazic's upside maybe might be a little higher, I think that's why they started him. And this is what surprised me. Peter Mrazic didn't look great in the exhibition game. Yeah. James did in the second half. Mrazic didn't look great in the first game either, I didn't think, but they won anyway. Yeah, game second two, though. game, yeah, he was them. great. Like, like tip of the hat, he was fantastic. And I'm like, okay, your rhythm goaltender just looks like he found his rhythm. You're probably going to come back with him, right? Chance to sweep. That's what surprised me about the move because Mrazic rides highs and lows. Oh, yeah. And so when you get him on a high, you want to keep him there. So I was a little surprised because of that they went to James, but I give them credit. I think they really do believe they're going to need both. We've seen that all teams have a back-to-back in the second round. My understanding is there will be back-to-backs in the third round as well, especially for the teams coming through the play-in round. Rest is going to become a weapon. Jacob Markstrom – the Canucks got past the Minnesota Wild, but he had a terrible game in the clincher and gave up goals that were uncharacteristic. Maybe it's pressure of the playoffs. Maybe it's the fact he was playing for the fourth time in six nights and back-to-back with that pressure, but he didn't look like Jacob Markstrom. And so I think any teams that are going to utilize two out of a position of strength versus, oh, this guy had a tough night and we go the other way. Uh, I love that type of thinking. Carolina did it in the American Hockey League the year before. Um, with oh, the their DNA Decker. as a franchise. <laughs> well, They've done it Eric in the Stanley Tel- Cup, yeah. Well, and Eric Telsky as well, right? Eric Telsky, yeah. obviously, um, their and director, their much. analytics, and and yeah. and they're big, a big part of their uh, analytics team. You know, of course, he wrote a paper back for Broad Street Hockey. Wrote an article way back in the days when the Flyers were playing the wheels off Ilya Brzezgalov about, hey, you're better to rest the guy and go with the rest of the guy in the second end of back to back. So, um, you know, with Nedeljkovic and Tukarski the year before in the American League. And of course, it's the American League. So they had seven back-to-back oh on the playoff God. run. Yeah, Sheesh. they let they let Ned run in the first round again to try and he was going to be our, their guy. They were going to get get his wheels under him. And then in the second round, they opened with back-to-back games. They started Tukarski in the first game of the second round to give Ned another night off. Came back with Ned. They split four of the remaining six back-to-backs, including twice in the Calder Cup finals, they had back-to-back games and they split the starts and they won a championship. So you're right. And Rod Brindamore talked about how his experience as a player on the Canes in both 06, Cam Ward and Martin Gerber, yep. and 2002, Kevin Weeks and Archer Zerbe. But again, I think those were more performance highs and lows. And I think this is a combination of we need to rest a guy and maybe a little bit, like with all due respect, I thought last year they made a mistake going back to Mrazic in the Eastern Conference Final. I thought Curtis McElhenney was on a roll, and Peter had shown that he rides highs and lows. He came back from the injury and, to me, wasn't as good as he had been before. I understood it because he's the guy that got you there. But, you know, I I think they recognize that they're probably going to need to keep two guys ready throughout. And so I applaud the effort. I applaud the bravery. Anytime somebody's willing to think outside of the box, I'm going to applaud when it comes to goal. Could it it be – it's not this cut and dry, but – 
when you look at these matchups now in the round of 16 and you look for advantages in goaltending, how often do you think that's going to determine the outcome of a series? Because when I look at like Arizona against Colorado, I think Arizona is better in net, but I don't think they win the series. Um, Calgary and Dallas. Dallas is better than that. I picked Calgary to win that. Maybe I'm an idiot. Um, the, the Canucks against St. Louis is an interesting one because you just alluded to Jacob Markstrom and, and Bennington, who just won a cup. There's so many intriguing go- – like we talked about Price and Hart right off the hop, but there's a ton of intriguing goalie matchups in this entire – this next round. Well, and, and, and a lot of tandems too. So Ben Bishop was clearly the number one in yep. Dallas, and yet Anton Hudobin is, has had a great season. So Boston. the other thing about Ben Bishop yeah. is, like, traditionally, October is his, the worst month of his career. So that tells me that starts are an issue for him. And I know, you listen, like, there are no absolutes. So you can't say because a guy struggles in October traditionally, he's going to – like, I look at the start of a season as the closest equivalent we have to this in terms of how does a guy perform out of the gate. Because it was basically four months off. It was basically an off season. That said, and James Reimer actually pointed this out to me, he's like, the counter there is a lot of these guys who play a ton in the season, they, they don't start off running, right? They kind of dip their toes a little bit and try, and they know they have time to find their game. They're saving energy. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And, and this is different. So he wasn't sure it would translate. But at the end of the day, October's have been a problem for Ben Bishop. They actually have been for Anton Hudobin too, but the difference is Hudobin's always the backup in October. So you don't get a chance to find your rhythm. So there's one where, you know, I do think it can have an impact in terms of rest, especially if it's games three and four in a series and you have that luxury. If you see your guy is wavering and you're like, man, we got a really good backup. If we give our number one the night off here, we're in a good spot in the series. If we give our number one the night off here, we're going to get him back at 100%. If we play him on back-to-backs, we get him at 85 now and maybe 80 the night, the next two nights from now. So, I think it can help in terms of rest if you have the option. I think where it gets fascinating is is making sure you pick the right one. And with Bishop maybe not having a great start in the exhibition, maybe not being 100% healthy, you know, how long is that leash if he starts the opener? Robin Lehner uh, with, with Mark yeah, andre Fleury. Tough decision franchise-wise, but an easy one based on the numbers. Oh, yeah. Um, it's Lehner all day. Yeah, absolutely. Grubauer and Francouz. Like Pavel Francouz has been really good. And so the other part, and I, I think this is less, it's more fascinating for me and less actually tangible result creating. But some of these guys are like, they couldn't be more opposite. And, and I did pre-scout for just obviously for Vancouver radio here on, on mini and they were in the same boat. Like it wasn't just the decision between Dubnik and Stalock, And obviously they ran all out there the whole time. And, you know, he had moments, but at the end of the day, when you looked at the numbers, they weren't pretty. Um, if they had switched, it wouldn't just have been a different goalie. It would have been a completely different goalie. I mean, like, different styles. And I want, like, so I, I said one of the pre-scout we had on Staylock when we did, we did the film and looked at the numbers was exceptional on slot line plays low, down low, because he's got really quick feet. And usually by the time a play gets down low, a goaltender's against his post. So he's got less distance to travel. But he had really bad numbers, like significantly, like jumped off the page bad numbers on slot line plays high in the zone. In other words, 
if you had a two-on-one on Alf Daylock, you, you know this, your hunch as a, as a shooter is to try and get it as close to the net and then feed the perfect backdoor pass through and the guy jams it, you know, like from right into the my top pad. of the creek. <laughs> that, and for Alf Daylock, that wasn't. They actually, actually made a save on Besser in game one that was just like that. People like, oh, mm-hmm. what an incredible save. I'm like, no, that's a save he makes all day. Um, still great, but that, that plays to his strengths. Uh, for sure, the Canucks went to school on that because they scored a couple of goals, odd man rushes, and instead of waiting to low in the zone, they made the passes above the top of the circle, and the guy on the other end of that pass wasn't even looking. He was one tee the whole way. They scored a couple that way. They should have had a third. Horvat actually shot it right back into – Salok wasn't even in the net. Like, he was just getting back into the crease. And Horvat tried to go against the grain and shot it right back into it. And to his credit, Al actually made a really good reactionary save, but he only even had a chance because Horvat shot it back where he was. They clearly went to school on it and scored goals that way. If Doobie's in net, you want to get that in tight on him. His numbers mm-hmm. are worse down tight. Like, and Stalock plays so aggressively. So when, when the play is high in the zone, he's outside his blue paint and he has a ton of gap to cover. Whereas Doobie plays inside out and that's a short push and he's there. So, even the way it would have come off the pads, like Staylock with soft bonds, Doobie with Bowers, you know, you've seen those Bauer rebounds. Oh, I'm not yeah. sure if you had a chance to play in them, but they're like lightning off there. Goalies love it. The puck's in the corner. If you play on three on, <laughs> oh, dude, you play three on three. It's like a breakout pass off your yep. pads. It's beautiful. But that's a total. So if you're the Canucks, you have to adjust. With Staylock, if we're throwing it into traffic off his pads, we've got to be around the top of the crease. Yep. With Doobie, we've got to be, five, 10 feet further out. Like those are real tangible things that you have to work into your pre-scout and try and get the attention of your forwards. And they would be the same for a lot of these goaltenders, Bishop, Hudobin, different style players, same difference in the pads that we just talked about. Um, you know, even Halak and Rask to an extent, you know, Yarrow is actually the one who's a little more conservative. Uh, Tuka plays a little more of a flow game. I'm um, just, you know, so I, to me, you know, again, nobody's going to admit it, uh, but even Transus. I talked to his teammates late in the season. They were one of the last teams to come through here before the pause and about what it's like. Cause at the time Gruby was out. And so they had two lefties in practice. They had Michael Hutchison and Pavel yes. Francis. And I was asking them and they're just like, yeah, you come down you expect to shoot it. And, and like, they're like, even though we, these are our guys and we've known them, we've had them for weeks. You come down in practice and, you, and your head down, you know where your spot is and your spot's low blocker and you just shot it right into his glove. Yeah. You're telling me that Grubauer to Francis wouldn't throw Mm-hmm. Arizona off a little bit in terms of you know it takes a little extra second so those those ones to me are the fascinating ones we won't be able to measure them it'll be hard to tell but there's a little part of me that wonders if the ability to change up a pre-scout significantly like that if your coach really believes there isn't a huge difference between how they're playing and one guy isn't nobody's pulling a goalie on a heater Right, like, yeah. and that's why I was surprised by Morazic. But if they're, but if they're, even if they're winning, but they're just kind of getting away with it. Your goalie coach knows they're getting away with it. Your head coach knows they're just getting away with it. Do you see? Do you see a switch? Because hey, we're not going to lose anything. We keep the other guy engaged if we need him later. We throw them a different look, and we add the rest factor. I, my hunch is you'll see more in the second round than you did in the first. I could be totally wrong on this, but I think you might see one in Arizona in back to back. Uh, I think we'll see it again for sure in Carolina. Brendan Moore's pretty much already said it. Yeah. Uh, and I could see one happening in Colorado as well. Yeah, there, there's some interesting ones for sure. Maybe even in Columbus, depending how Corpus Allo is playing. Um, how much you're on the, you have the goalie uh, coach Rolodex of all people. How much of that head coach is making that decision with a t- really valid 
input from the goalie coach? Like does Torts <laughs> make any of those decisions with that input or is he going off feel? I think he gets input for sure from his goalie coaches. And I think he probably values that. I actually saw a quote from him and I don't know for sure, but I saw a quote from him coming into this saying he would have to lean more on Manny to decide who was the guy. And I loved seeing that. From oh, him. that's great. I, I do think that, you know, at the end of the day, if you have enough, if you're coming off a regular season, you've watched both guys play. It matters less because head coaches, even the ones that are dangerous because they think they know more about the position than they do at least they have a feel for who's going well that they can justify with analytics, whether it's with analytics or eye tests or just being behind the bench and watching them play without that track record. And with four months off to hear towards say, yeah, I'm going to lean on Manny because, because the goalie coach is the one who knows what it looks like when a guy's feeling good about his game in practice. Yeah. And let's be honest, practice isn't always great for goaltenders, but they know the drills that it's like, Hey man, when this guy's dialed, nobody can beat him in this drill or this situation. They have that knowledge. They also hopefully have a more open relationship with the guys in terms of being able to really ask the questions to get honest answers, not, Hey, do you feel good? But the types of questions you need to ask to truly understand how a guy is feeling about his game. So I would hope that more would lean on their goalie coach than they might in the past. Those dynamics, I mean, they're very different around the league. I, I won't name the coach, but I remember one goalie coach sending me a text on a Friday night at like 1130 at night. They had an afternoon game the next day, and he had basically been cut out of those decisions, oh. asked for a little bit of input, but the head coach was making the call and really not what. And the, and the head coach texted him at like 11 at night and asked him who he thought should start. And he was just beside himself that the goalies didn't know. And it was an early, they had no morning skate the next day. It was an early game. And he was just beside himself that like, now you're texting me. Like now you're asking this question. 11 o'clock at night. Freak. And, and, and more also that it's like, you really haven't told my goalies. Like who's so it really varies from team to team. And this is not, I'm not talking like that's not 10 years ago. That's two years ago. Wow. So Oof. it can vary, but on the, on the flip side in Vegas, Dave Pryor, who's no longer with the Golden Knights, and that's, I mean, sort of under, it hasn't gotten a lot of traction, but when they made the laner move and moved out Subban, it was after they changed coaches. When they changed coach, and then Dave Pryor was gone within days of that trade, Subban was one of the kids that he really wanted and felt good about and brought in. The quiet part of that is when Pryor came in under Gerard Gallant, he got the call. Not just a voice, but he got to make the decision on who started. When Pete DeBoer came in, that ended. Yeah. So it's almost like constructive dismissal, at least based on the way Dave Pryor was hired, is my understanding. So those are the kind of things where, like, you know, maybe there's too too much extremes. In a perfect world, you'd like to think they're working together. The truth of the job is there's a lot of nights where as a goalie coach, you're caught between trying to be honest and trying to defend your guys. And sometimes the criticism is valid and you have to know when to accept hey my guy wasn't good enough and sometimes it's just absurd like with all the respect Mike Millberry type comments on reverse VH goals saying just stand up I'm like well yeah. did you see the goal on Gary the, Cheevers that, that, <laughs> like Bob, Bob just stood up how did that look against the Islanders in the first yeah. one um, so you know there's different there's different and, and it, it can get heated like I've talked to goalie coaches about this increasingly the job is about defending your guy or increasingly the job involves fighting with your coaching staff over whose goals are what. And, and that's not a good thing in a perfect world. The relationships would all be better and there would be back and forth, but I understand post game gets heated, but some of that, some of the stories I've heard, man, it's like, uh, it's not constructive. 
Yeah. There should be a 24 hour rule. Like you deal with uh, parents on a, on a youth level. We can't talk until 24 hours after a game and I'll come in the next day and show, cause I'll bank the 78 saves that my goalie made because of RVH. And then you're going to point out the one that he didn't save because some guy hit it off his head and I, he was too flat or whatever. <laughs> so well, but I'm going to bank we, those we, as the season goes on. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, it's funny because every time a uh, goalie points it out on, uh, on our podcast, I'm like, I always say to, to Hutch, uh, who the founder angle and also produces the podcast. One of the co-hosts I always say like, let's clip that. Let's clip that. Roberto mm-hmm. Longo, right? Like everyone loves to say RVH fail, but they don't talk about the 15 saves I made in the same game that were easy saves that wouldn't have been if I was still playing it a different way. So there's give and take, but Hey man, like, like honestly, like we're seeing a lot of quote unquote, everybody loves the RVH fail hashtag. To me, it's not the position that's failed. It's the execution or, Mm -hmm. or using it in the first place in that situation that's failed. And so to me, it's not an RVH fail. It's a failed RVH. And there's a difference between the two. And at the same time as they pile up in these playoffs, like that's my, that's my column for this week at Ingle or at, at, at NHL.com for unmasked. I got to sort of wade through it and explain it. Um, listen, the technique isn't broken, but some guys aren't applying at the right time or in the right way. Jake Markstrom didn't give up a goal all year in RBH. He gave up three in one game the other night. Is it because the position sucked or because a, he missed his, he missed his post, hit it with his skate on the first goal and left a gap. That's how it went in. Second one, no back leg engagement so he doesn't push his shoulder up to the crossbar like he normally does. The gap that everyone likes to exploit, Marky's normally really good at pushing and feeling into it. He was passive with the back leg. That's an execution problem. Third one, not only did it look like he was lifting, thinking the guy was going to go short side shelf, and he opened up a hole, much as Freddie Anderson did on that bad second goal. You see mm-hmm. him lift on that, expecting short side. And as soon as you lift, you open holes elsewhere, and the puck's yep. inevitably going to find those holes. But not only did Marky lift on that, but if you watch his blocker, again, imprecision, uncharacteristic imprecision, he misses his spot with his blocker. And as the puck's on his way to him, he's trying to reset that while lifting it up, uh, and he ends up opening his team. So, again, did RVH fail? His execution. No, his usage. execution failed. Yeah. yeah, and we saw it with Vasilevsky as we're talking here in the background. I just got three text messages from guys about yeah. RVH, RVH fail. Like, Dude, the puck was on the half wall at the hash mark. Why are you in RBA? Yeah, that, that, that's not the spot to be in it. Uh, last thing, um, the, the goaltending in the playing round overall was way ahead of the shooters in my opinion. I mean, you see save percentages in those games. I know it's not a huge sample size, but geez, man, the, the goaltending in this league right now, and you talked okay. about it, the gap between 1 and 1A or 1B, whatever you want to call it, it's, it's, it's incredible what we're seeing out of these goalies, both starters and pseudo backups. You know what? That's an interesting question here. And actually, I think you may have just given me an idea for my next column. So I owe you one on that. I'll you know, check in the mail. I'll give you a residual on this one. Every year we hear that goalies need the goals. Goal, goals is always up early in the season. Right. And so we always hear that goalies need time to catch up. Goalies are always behind to start mm-hmm. the season. And so the theory was that goalies would be behind, would be behind, to start these plans. And you're right. I, I'm going to have to look at the numbers to see what the difference is, but it sure doesn't feel like that, right? Like yeah. the goalies, we're not seeing six, seven a night. Well, I mean, outside of Colorado and, or sorry, um, Chicago and Edmonton, because nobody really defended uh, in that series. But see, to me, that's the difference. It's not that the goalies are always behind in October. It's that the system start tight and people aren't paying attention to defense and things are looser. 
And again, like if you create an all-star type environment, goals are going to go in. Yep. And to me, October's just always been a month where teams play looser. And so goalie num- numbers struggle. And then at the goal, it's not that the goalies get better as the season goes on. And maybe some do. And maybe some are dipping their toes early in the year because they know their team's going to ride the wheels off them playing 65 games. So they pace themselves. But I think more often than not, my theory has always been play just gets tighter as the season goes yep. on. And then we get through January and it really tightens up. And then by the end of the season, the save percentages climb back up to where it used and to be. And pre-scout. And I, yep. Yeah. Yep. I think pre-scout, one in 82, I don't think that many players pay attention to it. Yep. One team, one night, one day. Pre-scout matters more in the playoffs because it's the same team. Mm-hmm. Guys are going to pay attention to it. When, and I think Marty Berger used to make a living on this because as everyone else was going down, he was standing up and nobody really dug in on it you know, when it was the Devils one night and then the Rangers the next. But if it was the Devils for seven straight, especially later in his career where pre-scout came to matter, I think teams started to go to school. And you saw him make adjustments as well. Yep. Um, but they started shooting pucks. Like, like hey, the Americans, which were loaded with New Jersey Devils, did in the 2010 Olympics. They started shooting pucks along the ice into his feet rather than allowing him to read high shots. So, um, I, you know, I, th- I think as the season goes on, defense is just get tighter and uh, premium gets put more on, on tight defensive play and better defensive play. And I think we're seeing that because goalies are performing like it's late in the season and not, they're not behind like a lot of people felt they were, they would be. And I think part of that is because everything in front of them for the most part is tighter. Um, I think some of the ones that have had some of the bigger struggles are the ones well outside of Carter, frankly, uh, the round robin teams because the intensity yeah. defensively wasn't the same as it was in the qualifier. So I might have to dig into those numbers. That may be my column in a couple of weeks. And we finally put the rest, the idea that goalies are behind early in the season. The, the frank truth of the matter is teams just don't defend as well. Yeah. Well, it's not because of a lack of power plays. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> There's been a lot of penalties. Um, Kevin, this was awesome. man. I know this round is going to be so much fun. It's so good to have the game back to be able to kind of geek out on what's coming up with not only the playoffs, but the goaltending position. And we all know that when you get into the Stanley cup playoffs, the position is elevated in importance even more. So uh, we appreciate you stopping by, man. I love talking to you and uh, people just got to check out the Ingo Ma- uh, radio podcast, ingolmag.com. You guys are doing a great job. I appreciate it. Yeah, I know. Thanks for having me on, man. And thanks for repping the goalie union strong out there in the media. Some great interviews uh, you had with Carter in the qualifying round and stuff. And I've always loved tuning into your stuff, too. So nice to have the goalie union represented all over the place. Thanks, bud. Always great to speak with uh, Kevin Woodley. You know, I geek out on that, Russ. Oh, yeah. You love that. (laughs) But I don't blame you. It's fun. I mean, that's what you do. Yeah, I love it. And um, that was some serious goalie geekdom right there. But let's look at the Western Conference because uh, some interesting matchups here as well. And let's start with St. Louis, the cup champion, taking on Vancouver. The first uh, game of that series will be tonight uh, as we're taping here. Is Vancouver a team that can push St. Louis who has not looked very good in the, play, in the round robin? Or are they, is St. Louis just kind of going, yeah, wake me up when it matters? I mean, you know Craig Berube. We, we had him on this show. If you think Craig Berube was going to risk getting his guys hurt, in a time that where he thinks he probably has a really good chance of repeating as cup champion, come on, man. I, I, I think it's all rope-a-dope. I, I think they got out of this healthy. Tarasenko's healthy. There's nobody that we could talk about with St. Louis with injuries. Uh, it's it's Petrangelo's probably final run with them because they probably can't sign him unless mm-hmm. all of a sudden he comes back for a sweetheart deal. So there's a lot on the line here, and, and I do feel like Barube would love to win another one. I, I think Vancouver has looked great. I love Quinn Hughes. I've written about this guy forever. I love Besser. I Pedersen, same thing. I was high on him. 
I like those guys. They have some other guys to fill in. Now, Toffoli's missing game one, which is mm-hmm. not great. Um, their defense is still not great either. And Markstrom was shaky in that last game, but he's still overall a terrific goalie. Yeah. End of the day, I just think they're going to get beat up. And unfortunately, I hate this. And, and Pedersen's been taking a beating yeah. in the corners and everything else. And he's starting and to St. get St. Louis stronger. is heavy hockey. Oh, <laughs> Sanford and, and other guys mm-hmm. are just going to take pot shots at him. That's going to be a part of their game plan. And just big and heavy. They're fast and heavy. You know, Tarasenko, guys like that. I don't know if the Vancouver defense is up for it. I get skating around them kind of thing. But Bennington does make the right save at the right time. Even if you still don't like him, you have to admit that. Yeah, I'm still not oh, in love. Oh, you are it so It may take reluctant. another year. But I love Jacob Markstrom. I'll tell you that. I do love him, but I don't, and I don't you, know. And you do know that at the time he got drafted, Florida drafted him. Um, he was he, It was either the Flyers had a chance at him or John Carlson. And I felt like they could go with either one. I actually thought Markstrom would have been a good choice back then. And – do you know who Paul Holmgren traded for to trade that pick to Washington? Um, so he traded for a Washington player? Yes. Oh, my goodness. I should know this. And he's a scout now, so you see him all the time. Neil Lipno. <laughs> um, <laughs> Not Neil a little. <laughs> um, I don't know. Steve Eminger. Oh, wow. Hmm. I, did, I forgot about that deal. That's not a good deal. No. And I, <laughs> and I remember – <laughs> screaming about it when it happened like wow yeah that's not a good deal <laughs> um no uh let's look at uh, a team so in I, dallas i had the blues winning in six. yeah i think i do too i think they're just gonna overwhelm them um calgary who gets by in, in the play-in round over a depleted winnipeg team after game one by the way i'm gonna stop this here's the trade so it was eminger and a third round pick um calgary is taking on dallas Calgary gets uh, by in the, in the play-in round, Russ, uh, with a good performance against Winnipeg. They got good goaltending from Cam Talbot, much to my surprise. Uh, they're taking on Dallas, who can't seem to score. And Dallas in game one goes down, and they, they played Hudobin in the game. I know. Uh, Bishop's dinged up, but um, Calgary's alive, live here, not only because they're up one nothing. I thought they were live before this. I picked them to win this series. I did, too. And, and look, Calgary all of a sudden looks like they got a little bit of depth. Yeah, they've got a little Bay bit of depth. I, look, Dubé is, is a great kid. I, I, I was at an event with him, the rookie photo shoot, and he's funny because he's a calm, cool guy, but he's got great hands and he's a great skater. And we're finally starting to see it. Calgary likes to overmarinate their guys, and he's had good years in the A. But he came out and he was wearing, um, for his interview, a Pittsburgh Pirate hat. And I'm like, why are you wearing that? And he goes, because I love baseball. And we started talking about baseball, and this was like a complete shock that this kid just he goes look i've been to a few baseball games i really love it he's just a down-to-earth kind of guy and Mm -hmm. pressure doesn't really get to him and you saw with those goals that he got boy he that's a that's a big time get for them because you know kachuk goudreau monahan they're all coming through now but cam talbot i will never know what went on when cam talbot was in philly and i guess i let it color my decision as to what i thought he could do in this you know in these playoffs, but he has gone back to the Cam Talbot of old. Um, maybe not even the one in Edmonton, maybe the one with the Rangers. Yeah. He, he was that good. And so, yeah, that's, that's a pretty, nobody can play goal in Edmonton though. Nobody yeah, it, it is. <laughs> unfortunately, that does seem to be an issue. Um, look, Dallas, I'm glad Goriano finally um, 
is getting utilized again. He had 20 goals in the regular season. He's got great speed, uh, great stick handler. So maybe they are going to free him up a bit. You know, Pavelski had a goal. He only had 14 on the regular season. I know he scored in one of those round robin games too, but whatever. I, I'm, I don't think he's the player he used to be. And I don't think that team's offense is what it used to be. They play a little better defense, but their offense is what's going to hurt them. And I, I, I've got Calgary winning and I'm trying to be consistent here. I've got my pixel here in five. Okay. Wow. Well, that's a, that's a, I mean, I just, it's a vote of no confidence for Dallas. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the number two seed uh, who a lot of people really love in this tournament this year is the Colorado Avalanche, and they're taking on uh, the Arizona Coyotes. Arizona got by in the play-in round, looked good. Darcy Kemper looked really good. Um, he had Colorado, one bad game. I felt like he had one bad game. Yeah, but, and then he came back and had, what, like he 50 did. saves um, yes. and was tremendous. But Colorado, I think, is just going to be too much for Arizona here. Yeah. Nate McKinnon, that back end with uh, Gerard and Kale McCarr. And hey, they Nico got Ryan Rent. Graves, who yeah, has I mean, been getting the points, team. and he's a great shot blocker. The Rangers blew it. Do you know the Rangers traded for Ryan Graves because they traded Graves to Colorado? No. They got Chris Begraff. You remember Chris? He came in with Philly. Yes. So he wow. never produced offensively, Chris. And, boy, Ryan Graves. And I watched Graves in the Memorial Cup live, and I was furious with that trade because I just looked at it and said, this doesn't seem like a good trade. And, yeah. and it really is, has killed him. Yeah, Colorado is loaded. Yeah. And, and they, this is a tough matchup for now, Arizona. Now, this, again, if Grubar comes out and Francis goes in, I won't be shocked. Francis is a good system guy and he does make the right saves. I think they're in good shape because they at least have a plan B just in case, but yeah, the offense, the blue line, the way it moves the puck. Uh, I mean, it's, it's too much for Arizona. I like Kemper, although he's not truly playoff tested. Really. He isn't. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I do think the abs win and I'm going to go abs in six. Cause I do think Kemper is wow. capable of putting in two or three really good games. I'd like to see Keller not have like a, a boat anchor on him having to play defense. I wish Tockett would sort of free him up because he's not been the same. Uh, I like to play out of Christian Dvorak and, and a lot of the uh, other young players. Hall seems to be uh, more engaged now, now that he's had some time off. So Chikrin is turned into a good shutdown guy. They're certainly capable of winning, but they do have trouble scoring. Yeah, and I just don't know that they can – Colorado has no trouble scoring. Yeah, no, they're they're so dynamic, and it, it, I thought we were going to hear something from Gary Bettman in regards to, you know, working out players uh, before before the draft lottery get some kind of ruling on that. We just that's going to come, I think, after the Stanley Cup in that short time before the draft, mm-hmm. and you know what they may do is I don't know if they're even going to touch draft picks. They may just make this monetary. Yeah, and a bad time to make it monetary for a lot of teams, by the way. It, it is, but we have to remember that they will get a check for Seattle coming into the league. Yeah. So to me, they could just get less of a check. Or, well, they're also not paying a GM right now either. Yeah, but they're they're going to pay one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Steve Sullivan probably got a little bump. Yeah. But, and and we don't know if he'll be the full time guy. We don't know that, but. But I do think that they'll end up taking money out of what they would have gotten from Seattle. Yeah. Well, every, te- every team is banking on that right now to keep people employed. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, we, ha- we, we saw game one of the top seed in the Western Conference, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights, a 4-1 win over Chicago. Chicago gets by, and they beat Edmonton in that wild, crazy, really one of the only series where they were scoring goals at will. 
yeah. um, against the Edmonton Oilers. That's because, again, neither of those teams played a whole lot of defense. A lot of pride on that Chicago side, but uh, they're just going to be overwhelmed here, Russ. Yeah. This Vegas team is legit. Robin Lehner was absolutely the right decision. Kevin and I talked about it. Yeah. Um, and, and the situation for Vegas is, is real good here, getting Pacioretty back. Yeah, I mean, um, the guy's undefeated with him. It's like, I get that Marc-Andre Fleury is still really good, but if you are undefeated and it's not just 1-0 and now you're 6-0, why am I taking this guy out? Yeah. And Pete DeBoer is a guy that um, – he, he doesn't have any past allegiances. No. He comes in and, and look, Marc-Andre Fleury is not going to upset the apple cart. No, he's played this role before. He's, look, he's probably dying inside because he wants to play and he's a competitor. Yeah. Uh, but he's not going to let it upset the apple cart. That's not the guy he no. is. Um, and, and, look, they may have to go to him at some point because of injury right. or fatigue or whatever or poor play. We'll see. But um, he could still be a factor for that team on a run. Uh, but yeah, Vegas just overwhelms Chicago here, in my opinion. I can't see it going more than five. I got it six because, you know, there'll be a couple games where Chicago gets four goals. They get five goals. So you're banking I, I on think, Taves keeping up uh, that play that he had in the play-in series where he yeah, was turning the be, clock back. I, I think there'll be some of that. Kubelik has, has helped with that, and Dabrinka could get hot. I, I do think there's some of that. But at the end, I do think Vegas just out, will out Chicago Chicago, and mm-hmm. they'll out four-check them. They'll, they, they may outscore them. They may not, but they do um, have Pacioretty back now, which is a big deal. They're bigger. Riley uh, Smith guys, had two. Yeah. Riley Smith's been on fire ever since they've gotten him. Uh, Tuck, Tuck is way better than he was a couple of months ago. So he looks like the guy I thought he was going to be. Um, a while back, I actually had the Flyers drafting him, but they didn't take Alex Tuck. I thought that would have been a good fit. Um, <clears throat> but at any rate, I, I think – Stone, Stone's always really hard. Yeah. Like, and their defense is so much better now. Like Zach Whitecloud, he, he came from Bemidji State, and he has walked in there and done just a tremendous job for an undrafted defenseman. And anytime you can get those kinds of guys, you know, Philippe Myers, guys like that, yep. boy, that's a big boost for a club that was a little off defensively, and he's chipping in offensively. So, you know, Shea Theodore is, is one of the better young defensemen in the league, too. I do think they have too much, but I'm going to get, I'm going to say six only okay. because now the one thing we're starting to see, and we figured this would probably happen because Crawford didn't have a lot of training time. He had COVID and all that. We did see a little less effort out of him and I can't kill the guy. Like he's putting it yeah. all on the line. man. Yeah. Even though that series against Edmonton was high scoring, he made big <sighs> saves at key times in games. I, th- I was impressed. I-, I felt like he was the biggest reason they moved on. Honestly. Yeah, if, if Corey Crawford, if he wouldn't have been available, they were, they weren't. Edmonton would have beaten them. No, no question about it in my mind. Yeah. Edmonton, amazing. Like I mean, Malcolm Subban's okay, but it's not even close. Yeah, I'm not even sure that he's an NHL backup at this. No, point. I'm not sure either. Um, all right, well, there's a great preview of the first round. Good job, Russ. Some of your thanks. finest work, and uh, thanks to Kevin Woodley for joining us on this uh, here episode of the Stick to Hockey Podcast. 86 will come your way next week, and who knows where these series will be sitting at that point. All I know is the hockey has been fantastic oh no i'm i'm happy man i mean this is this has been really great i don't love five game series i hated it in in Mm -hmm. the 70s but you know it is what it is as far as that goes but now that we're in seven and guys are playing like this you know i the other thing was mike milbury what the hell is he thinking trying to go talking about going back to three on three and not go back to go to three on three in in stanley cup playoffs what is he and a shootout yeah i know what it was he hadn't had his dinner. He was tired of working. He, he checked out after, be there. 
he checked out after the second overtime. Yeah. He barely even saying anything. He's just like, I get me out of here. I'm not getting paid anymore right. to sit here for basically another full game in a period. It's really true, <laughs> but you know, and 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 for people that say that felt like the play fell off, I mean, yeah, might, I didn't see that. <laughs> I didn't see that either. You might see a gaff or two, like we did see. Um, Headman go on the wrong bench and get called mm. for too many men. Yeah, there's going to be a little bit of fatigue factor, but I felt like we didn't see. I mean, th- look, did no you see Headman bust his ass to get back and, and chase Atkinson with a bad ankle, w- with a bad a bum wheel and playing fifty some minutes. Yeah, I mean, so no, I I thought it was great. Yeah, when you see a guy playing over sixty minutes, sixty three minutes and change, Oof. it was for Seth Jones, and he's still jumping in the play and getting back. I'm like. The conditioning of these athletes and coming back. He wasn't back even after. tired post game. He wasn't. Unbelievable. Like, how the hell can you play that many minutes in a game and the way he does yeah. and, and and still perform at that level? I'll, I'm telling you, people don't get it. And I, I tweeted it out that NHL players, skilled players, are every bit as great of athletes as the greatest stars in the NBA. Yeah. Well, Connor I'm McDavid all... is LeBron James at 24. Yeah. Marlon's a little shaky here. The Islanders, uh, oh, that's, this is not good for them. I mean, it's on the power play, but still, he had the puck and it squirted through. Uh, they're down two nothing, and Washington's playing their game. That they're yeah. they're in a little bit of trouble. Crashing the blue paint. That's what they do. Yep. Uh, all right, that's going to put a wrap on episode eighty. Everybody, stay safe and enjoy your hockey. Get down.